G'day everyone, it's Tractor. Welcome to the Gel Ball Mill Sim Speed Soft Speed QB Hardcore Uber Duba High Hills and Everything Else podcast. I am doing a crossover today. I have invited the host of another podcast on. Hello, host of another podcast. What's your name? My name is Jack, and I'm the host of the Vinny and Jack pod. Well, one of the hosts of the Vinny and Jack podcast. <laughs> one half of the hosts. Well, being Vinny and Jack. Yeah. Cool. What's it about? Um, it's a filmmaking podcast that we talk about all things media related and also university life. Hooray. Yay. All right. Yay. Let's talk about all that. G'day, Jack. G'day, Tractor. How you going? Good, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Cool. Good day for Friday. I haven't listened to your latest podcast, I'll be honest. I'm still stuck on the second one. Um, But I am loving some of your Marvel theories. Oh, that's good. I'm a bit of a Marvel um, fanboy. And the last week with um, Doctor Strange and Shiz has been, um, and WandaVision and Chaos Magic. And it's been interesting. Well, we're only a a week now out from What If being released. Oh, yeah, there's lots of leaks of that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's for your listeners to get a little slice (laughs) of. Let's talk about my listeners now. Yes. Um, So you're a gel baller. You've been playing for a little while. What was your first gel blaster? My first gel blaster is still the one that I currently own, which is a, it's the LDT V3 HK416. So that was the, it's a nylon one, which I'm I'm happy about. Yep. So how long have you been in the sport, would you say? I was trying to work it out the other day. Yeah. Coming up on a year, I'd say. Yep. Because I started September of last year. Close enough for me. Yeah. Um, so what is it about gel blasters that made you go, I need to pick one of them up? Well, there's a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it started out as most people do, which is in the realm of video games. Um, big Battlefield fan. A big fan of the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare series and the newest one that came out. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, a love of guns and military history and whatnot. So, and then also having a airsoft and stuff overseas to gawk at sort of makes you want your own um, thing here. So I guess that's sort of what's led me to this. Did you, because um, a lot of my early customers were from, um, DIY and prosumer um, filmmakers. Did you come across it at all in your filmmaking journey? I did a little bit, um, but that was back when we were still getting like the white P90s and a few of the M4 Terminators and that sort of thing. So wow. the quality probably quality probably wasn't as good as like not nearly as good as what we've got now, um, but it was definitely something that I looked at back when I was well, I still am, but back when I was first starting to look into doing things regarding military in terms of filmmaking. Yeah. But um, it's definitely from a filmmaking aspect, and I was having a think of this the other day, like the quality has gotten to the point where you can get very, very good shots and realistic shots just from basic gel blasters nowadays, which is yeah. a testament to itself. Yeah, I remember talking to people in twenty early 20s, uh, so 20, 2010, 2011 sort of, um, and they were happy to have blasters in their films. And I, I sold one to a film that 
um, Dolph Lundgren was going to be in, like a D-grade, cheesy, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I sold them these MP5 SD6s. This is before gel blasters were a thing. Right. Um, and they said, oh, no, these aren't good enough for hero shots, but we can certainly use them in the background and do a bit of After Effects. And then when I saw that movie after it was released he was carrying one and they were just using digital effects and him shaking his hands. And I thought that was crazy. Yeah. Well, it's gotten to the point now where a lot of the job blasters that some of the guys are running with now can be used for the hero shots because mm-hmm. they do look that like nice, Yeah, which is not an uncommon thing to see people using fake or prop um, weapons as the main hero weapons, because a, it's a better safety concern because obviously they're not going to be shooting blanks or any sort of major projectile. Um, And second, they're relatively cheap compared, well, depending on the one that you get and how much you put into it, but they're generally cheaper than finding an actual like replica weapon or getting a real still weapon to fire blanks. Yeah. So the, the, what's the word? The possibilities for even just start like beginner filmmakers and people on a tight budget are just limitless yep. because you've got an easy access, good looking prop that you can use in just, you know, a homemade movie to shoot with friends. Yeah. I remember buying um, in for a customer that was doing a movie. Um, they were doing a Vietnam based thing. They wanted a, an FNFAL, SLR, L1A1, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yep. They wanted one of those, and it cost me seven hundred and ninety-five Aussie dollars, um, and that was just with brown and black on it. That wasn't detailed painting. Um, so he went off and took it to his props department, and they spent a lot of time on it after that as well. So um, I think gel blasters, when you think about that context uh, for filmmaking purposes, they're a, they're a great little option. Well, definitely, especially when you live in, well, thankfully, Queensland, not only is it good for the gel blaster industry in terms of players, but if you, like, there's a gel blaster store nearly in every suburb these days, or at least something that's close by. So if you think of that as a, from a filmmaking standpoint, you've got easy access to props just right around the corner that you would normally have to source from, like, a firearms dealer or some type of armorer who probably charges a ridiculous amount of money just for maybe one replica. Yeah, it's funny. I looked at going down the armourer route um, and I found it was a bit like the taxi industry. If you didn't know somebody, you would never get a licence. Um, yeah, and the exactly. price of the licences were quite restrictive. So a lot of people get out of the military and go, oh, well, I'll go into to making army films. And it's not a simple transition to get to the point where you can do that stuff. And I'm actually going to do a podcast on my other podcast with Sean Barry from Extra Specialist to talk about how his journey was into that because I'm really interested to see what it's like now. Yeah, I'll definitely have to give that a listen because that sounds good. But like even with your recent, uh, Tidy's most recent blaster release, which is the LK58 and the um, FAL hybrid, like the quality of those, even when you're standing up close, is just like it's unbelievable compared to what we had near like even four years ago and i'm in the process of writing and getting a short film series together that i want to do and i want to have like use gel blasters as a primary prop because i like i believe honestly that they are to the quality standard at least from a looks 
standard mm. to where they can be used as an accurate looking hero prop. And yeah. It'd be interesting to talk to guys like Brad Towner who were uh, and Terry Clayton who were around back when I was doing it as well because we, we used to sell stuff to YouTubers all the time and, and we'd occasionally get involved with um, bigger productions. But it'd be interesting to see what the what the growth in the industry is there. I, I know there's um, production companies that I've supplied stuff to now um, mm. and, and I'm bound to not talk about the details of that but... Um, yeah. I think back to those days and everyone went, oh, I wish we had Airsoft. I remember selling the first gun that I had that had a removable magazine mm. and people went gaga over it. We sold it hand over fist at $40 a pop because it had a folding stock and you could remove the magazine. And obviously for a prop shot, you need to be able to change magazines. You can't have one with a glued-in magazine. Um, and people nowadays probably don't appreciate um how hard it was back then for the users. Well, I was back, I was probably starting to get into the filmmaking world, not professionally by any means, but when I was like a, like 11 year old, 12 year old kid thing, like wanting to start making like homemade movies, the most realistic looking prop that looked like a firearm that I could get my hands on at the time was like a modified Nerf gun with one of those aesthetic, um, like, kits that you can put yep. over them because yep. that was the closest looking thing to a firearm which had a detachable magazine which you could sort of sell from afar but even then you could only get so close yeah whereas now you've got a gel blaster for just about you know every well-known firearm out there mm. and if not then you can buy additional kits and rails and handguards and whatnot to change the aesthetics of it yeah and it's just it's mind-boggling about how much possibility you've got. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're, you're so spoiled for choice now. Like, it was M4, M4, M4 back in the day and a few MP5s, and if you were lucky, there was a, an AK with a bunch of tactical shiz on it. Yeah. Um, I, of all the guns that I sold back then, the only one I haven't seen now is the um, XM8. Yeah, okay. Um, G36s, M14 EBRs. M4s, AKs, all that's come to pass, but no one's done the XM8. Mm. I've always found that strange. But it was a, I suppose if you weren't playing those games at that time, it was ne- like Ghost Recon um, back yeah. then. You're never going to want that gun. And I suppose it sort of does come out of that whole like how popular the gun is in terms of pop culture, mm. like whether the recent action movie stars are using it, like. I don't know if you've seen the most recent Chris Pratt movie, The Tomorrow War, mm. with those um those M4s with yep. the front grips and whatnot. Like I've seen since that movie's come out, I've seen like a boost in people wanting or at least having a go at a weapon of that style. Yeah. When it's just like, another M4, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an M4 with a couple of fancy pantsy like aesthetic grips Eric, and whatnot. Eric, yeah. And I mean, you can argue the realistic capabilities of one of those weapons up against an alien creature like they fought in the movie but at the end of the day you're gonna do a service to the gun industry because you're just boosting popularity for a rifle and it's the same with video games it's like how many like promotional pictures have you seen from the most recent tom clancy games where they're holding something that isn't just an m4 like i think the division most of the divisions promotional pictures were of a vector and then all of a sudden, you know, and I'm as guilty as this as anyone else. I wanted a vector. Yeah. So it's just, 
it's it's funny seeing how media can change people's preferences for both gel blasters but also what they'd like in their own movies the the thing i find funny about that i'm always very interested in the ballistics that games hold true on um and having fired a lot of these guns in real life and and had my own bolt action rifles and other stuff um from my other lives um games can get it so wrong and so can movies get it so wrong um, so people get this buzz about a rifle, and in America they go and buy the real one. They don't freak about and getting an airsoft one. They go, mm. oh, I want the M14, and they go and buy it, and then they're, oh. Um, but, yeah, if, if I had one gun to buy, it definitely wouldn't be an M4 in real life. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. Like, there's just so much choice out there. You sort of don't want to get an M4 as a first one. Like, mm. say, for whatever reason, Australia's gun laws went to how America is and you yeah. could buy whatever weapon you wanted within reason. Yeah. My first choice probably wouldn't be an M4 because there's just that many options out there that mm. I'd be more interested in. Yeah. 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 I, I'd be much more interested in a pistol caliber carbine or maybe something in 300 blackout. Um, something that's got a little bit more kinetic energy when it hits you. Um, and that's why the Russian stuff has been so popular over the years because it has a bigger pill um, mm-hmm. with a smaller cartridge case. But um, for me, people will go, oh, you're so old-fashioned, but 7.62 says F you. Yeah. Like, um, it's the reason why all of the L1A ones and stuff used them. Yeah. Well, there's it, an interesting story about that. If you you didn't know, the uh, Americans were going to adopt the L1A one. But yeah, the, I've but heard the this. problem was it was in a 280 caliber, and they went, "No, we could never use that unless it was an American caliber." <laughs> so the British went off, re-engineered it to this 762 by 51 NATO thing that the Americans wanted, and then the Americans said, "Meh, I know we shook your hands, but we're going to build our own." And then they went off and did more with the M14. Cray cray. Yeah, and but then was, the Australians adopted it, and everyone else adopted it yeah, for four. a time. 400 million countries adopted it. Some are still using it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Look at the SA-58. Mm. I really want one. I really want one. Like if money wasn't an issue and I'd move to America, um, I'd probably buy a pistol first because there's a bloody good chance somebody's going to shoot at you in the street in America. Oh, yeah. But in terms of rifles, I'd be getting an SA-58, with not with a 10-inch barrel though. No. It'd be the slightly longer barrel. I would love to see, I'd love to get my hands and have a play with a 300 blackout MCX like what, um, and it's probably just me, you know, being a big nerd over T-Rex arms and stuff, but Mm. they, I do appreciate how they lean towards the more civilian side of things and how they lean towards being prepared and whatnot, which, you know, you've got different sides of every story, like Mm. different stances and everything, but you got to give the guys credit for at least trying to be prepared in a world where there is a credible threat like that. Yeah. Yeah, In Australia, 223 is a great varmint cartridge. Um, You can shoot everything up to a kangaroo with a 223 and kill it very cleanly. But in America, you've got bears and elk and moose and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah. Like in terms of hunting, um, yeah. Because I don't sort of think in terms of man stopping power anymore the way I used to. Um, yeah, is what it is. Well, I, I guess, guess it just. It, I guess it just tells that they've got a wider range of selection to mm. do what they want to do with it, and you know, 
But anyway. Anyway, let's talk about gel blasters instead. Yes. So if there was one gel blaster that's not on the market now that could be made and you could wave a magic wand and go, I would have that, what would it be? Ooh, it's tough because there's not that many rifle platforms that haven't already been made. It can be a pistol, it can be a shotgun, it can be in anything. So, um, it can be a grenade launcher. A grenade launcher. I would launcher. actually like to see... I'd like to see an M27, SIG M27, the yep. handgun. Yep. Um, there's a three different names for it, but I'll just go the military designation. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it. I like the form of it, and I don't own a gas blowback myself yet. Don't you? Um, no, I, I, like, I just haven't gotten the funds for it. I've spent a lot of money on gear in, instead of a secondary. Yep. Um, I plan on getting one of the new WE Glocks when I get around to it, but just lack of funding obviously gets in the way of many things. Yep. Um, but yeah, an M27 is probably what I'd go for if I could make any blaster. I'd, I, I'm a simple man with simple interests. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, mm. It's interesting because SIG um, took away the licensing from a bunch of airsoft manufacturers and created SIG Air. Um, so... Seeing, right, okay. seeing like the P320 come out in gel blastering, um, it was all the rage about four or five months ago. All my contacts were saying, oh, we're going to do a P320, da 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 And then they all just disappeared. So I don't know whether SIG got wind of it and went, stop that. <laughs> well, maybe maybe if we're lucky enough and behave ourselves, they might come out with their own gel blaster. No reason they couldn't. Mm, well, the... They've already got the capability to make an airsoft one. I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. I mean, the the funny thing is, is that the market's there if they did decide to do one. Mm. Well, there's a bunch of SIG stuff that would be interesting, the MCX and, and others. I hear a rumour that there is a nylon um, speedy boy looking coloured MCX coming out from a gel blaster manufacturer. Yes, I've seen pictures. It looks interesting. It looks like vomit. Mm. Well, I mean, we can always... <laughs> rattle can it yeah this is true this is true um, i'm not really like i saw a picture of it and i'm like mm, the color's a bit off-putting but i'm more i'm more concerned with a the price tag and b the performance because mm. to me the color you can always change because i'm planning on spray painting blasters anyway yeah see i've got last count i had 70 odd blasters so the chances that i'll spend a lot of time modding one are pretty minimal i want to buy yeah. it and it just works yeah, I'm at that point where, like, I'd be happy to change a little thing, change something on the rails or a site or whatever else, but I, I don't want to faff about. I, I want it to just work out of the box. Maybe, say, get a kit for a well-beloved LK58? Mm. Uh, yeah, the folding stocks are a thing, and um, I've been talking that, about them in a bunch of podcasts, so I won't belabor mm. that point. It'll be good. Yep. But, no, I've been um, meaning to send my 416 into Chris to get a look at recently because mm. just I've, I've taken it to enough um, re- repair people in the past to be disappointed as of recently. So, yeah, yeah there seems just need some love. Seems to be quite a bit of turnover in the gel blaster tech industry and uh, because it's not um, – you're not like a diesel mechanic where you've got a certificate and apprenticeship that says, I know what I'm doing. So, like – there's a lot of shops out there. It's a risk to take somebody on as a blaster tech 
And yeah. the, I would say that there is a shortage of really good techs. Um, so it's very tempting to take somebody on and try to train them, but that can trip you up as a business pretty quick. Yeah, and I suppose it also, from a consumer standpoint or from a customer standpoint, I'll say, I suppose it's also about who you know. Yeah. Because I've, up until I moved to Brisbane, which again wasn't, I think that was like six months ago now, um, I've always just been going to the repair guys that are in the actual store mm. instead of like private repair people. Yeah. Um, not that your guys are too private because technically they're under the tidy or the MSEV banner, but yep. still it's like, it's like you never really consider it if you don't know about it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's like the McDonald's factor. You go to McDonald's because you know the experience you're going to get. You're not going to get a yeah. fantastic burger at McDonald's, but you're going to get exactly what you expect. Well, and that that could be different depending on the um, store and the repair people. But again, it's just a learning experience for everyone. And, and you do eventually figure out who the best people to go to for you are. Yeah. Um, and it's and different for everyone. Yeah, exactly right. And different people have different problems as well. Like not not every blaster, unless it's made consecutively by the same manufacturer, mm. not every blaster is going to have the same problem. Some blasters will perform differently and that sort of thing. And um, what I am happy with as of recently is seeing a lot more budget or beginner-friendly priced blasters that are performing well, mm. like performing really decently, like um, – there's a lot of SEMA uh, blasters that are coming out at the moment that are really good beginner blasters at that perfect beginner price point. Mm. And they actually perform quite well. Yeah. Like they perform quite decently and they're not going to, you know, break the bank and they're a perfect example of something you can just buy and use straight away. Mm. Um, and then you've got the higher priced blasters, like the most recent LDT MCX come out um, that are more catered towards the prosumer, I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. And um, I'd probably he's, he's say looking that at you, Ray and Trent. <laughs> I have yet cement Trent, uh, me have, Trent in real life. I'm no, gonna get you out to yeah. hardcore for a game. Yeah, I went out to hardcore a few Fridays ago. Actually, it's a good place. It's I'm cool. shocked you didn't run into him there. He's he's just about embedded mm. there. I don't no, blame him though. Kathy and Kathy and Toby are good peeps. Yeah, I need to do a, a um, podcast with them. I haven't done one for about twelve months with them. You should get them on again. I should. I need to get them on again. They're one of the best podcasts I had because it's so much fun because they're good peeps. Yeah, I think I um had a good chat with her when I first got there, actually. So, yeah, she had well, some nice words to say about you. Oh, everyone knows Kathy because she is the Discord queen. She gives <laughs> it as good as anyone can. She's a good lass. Yeah, well, I was, um, I was having a listen to Trent's recent podcast with you and... I, pro I probably agree with him on 90% of the things that he said in terms of where he wants to see the job blaster industry go media wise. Yeah. Cause um, you probably know more than anyone, but I'm a very big contender for getting gel blasting media wires onto the sort of same level as airsoft is. Yeah. Cause I feel like a, a big, a big reason why airsoft is as popular as it is, is because you've got actual dedicated proper airsoft YouTubers and yeah. really good production quality on videos and whatnot. So my aim using my skills both professionally and, you know, from the hobby side of things is to hopefully get um, Joe Ball to that same quality of content. Yep. 
And, and my first proper crack at that was with uh, a project that you helped a little with, Autumn Blue. Yes, the most recent endeavour from Tidy Toys. Yeah, so I'm pretty keen to get some Milsim-esque content out there because it's hard to capture Milsim the way that you can catch a speedball. Um, like those games are fast and snappy and you can get some really good action shots very easily. You can't send five photographers to a Milsim and get them to walk away with a bunch of content. But you see, the problem there is, is that people who watch speedball and people who participate in speedball are looking for a different kind of fish than Milsim is. Mm. Cause Milsim isn't about the gameplay. It's about the experience and it's about the, it's about the story and the narrative. And yeah. like a lot of people, like some people don't like that, which is fine because yep. it's as you as you always say, it's different flavors of ice cream for everyone. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's like I've taken I've been the resident photographer slash videographer for the last few major um, Millsoft Sundays, and I was the photographer slash videographer at the last Parabellum. Yeah. Um. And you're right; it's not easy to get hundreds of action photos because a lot of the time it is you know people just walking around and like into what's the word i'm looking for um interacting with npcs and other players but that's what makes it interesting it's that story it's Mm. the um you know the immersion in that world of the gameplay and anyone who would have seen the parabellum 2 video that was posted um, that whole thing with all the Pastafarian people, yeah. that whole interaction there. Yeah. And the um, the black shirts getting the drop on people with the mines, like it was, yeah. it's that element that makes Milsim so appealing and so interesting to watch and engaging to watch because it's like a real life movie. Yeah. Except you're the movie star. Mm. And yeah, it's just it's that element of the content that I'm willing to that I'm wanting to bring out because you can then highlight the differences, but also highlight what makes it so good. If that makes yeah. sense, I think a lot of people have this expectation that it's going to be like when they play Modern Warfare or when they play whatever game that everything is centered around them. Um, what they th- they forget to re- to remember a uh, bad sentence, but. Um, when they're playing a milsim, there are eight or nine squads that all need to get an experience right now. So we can't put all of our resources at one squad for an hour and then another. And we've got to spread that fairly thin. Um, and a lot of people come out a little underwhelmed, I think, at their first. Well, one. you always, yeah. Well, you're always going to get. You can't please everyone ultimately, mm. but you can create an environment where ninety percent of the people are happy. Yeah, and if you educate people again, this is where the videos come into play because it helps give people an idea even before they even step onto the mm. field. It gives them idea to, it gives them an idea, sorry, about what Milsim or Milsoft is about. Yeah, and I was having a chat when I was at Hardcore a few Fridays ago. I was having a chat to a few um, younger players. Sorry, I just bumped my microphone. So unprofessional. Mm. Um, I was having a chat with a few younger players when I was at Hardcore a few Fridays ago, and they were coming up to me because I was like decked out and my usual Milsim getup. Yep. Um, and they were, you know, gawking over my kit and whatnot. And I'm like, are you interested in Milsim? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, come out to Milsoft Sunday. 
Because mm. that's the, like the ones that you run, that Milsom East runs are the perfect entry to that because it gets people used to the idea that it's not all about them. Yeah. It gets people working in squads yeah. or at least more than two people. And it helps create, it helps give them the idea of the bigger picture. Because you're not going to yeah, shoot, you're exactly you're not going right. to shoot a hundred thousand rounds at a mills off Sunday. Exactly right. Like most Sundays when I go, I maybe use two magazines yeah. out of six that I carry on me, mm. unless it's a particularly nasty engagement. But in that, but even then, it's maybe only once or twice a day. Mm. The rest of the time is embracing that element of, yeah, you know make believe and pretend, but all that's, you know, fun. Like if you can enjoy a video game and pretend to be a soldier in a video game, then you can enjoy it in real life. Yeah. It's just instead of being by yourself playing with predetermined storylines with predetermined pre recorded actors on a TV screen, mm. you're playing with actual real people in a scripted environment. Mm. One, so, of the, one of the comments somebody said to me yesterday is, oh, the only thing missing from a Millsoft is the ability to fast travel like you can in a game. And I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> we don't have it for a reason because in real life, shit sucks. And there's no well, fast travel in a real war zone. It's, it's almost like people sort of hear the word Milsim and they sort of disregard the uh, the whole military part of that word, mm. which is not always their fault, especially if they're just a kid that's never really done much in that world. But anyone who's like knows anything about the military has a predetermined idea about what they think that a Milsim is mm. or what they think that a Milsoft is. And look at my whole um, first year of podcasting was what the fuck is Milsim? Yeah. Because everyone and has this different... When you say that word, there's 50 exactly. different interpretations. Well, it was funny because when I was first getting into um, Gel Ball, your podcast was one of the biggest platforms for me to get information about. And because I'd been watching Airsoft up until that point, obviously they've got their own flavor of Milsim. And because of the way that their industry is set up, they can, they can do you know, much bigger and grander mm. scale things than we can at the moment. I mean, granted we're getting there, but they can do so much more with what they can do just because that's the way that the industry is set up. Yeah. So because I knew that obviously we can't really achieve that. Okay. Have a look at your podcast and straight away you've got what is Milsim and it's, it's just giving people the opportunity to understand and learn and get involved with that for themselves. Cause I'd rather people have as bad as this sounds, I'd rather people go to a Milsim and have a bad opinion of it after they go to one, instead of have a bad opinion before they go to a Milsim and just never go to a Milsim because of it. If that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. Not to say that you have any bad Milsims cause your Milsims are great. Oh, no. Parabellum three in October 3rd. Um, well, there's no point pimping it because there's only four tickets left. <laughs> of which I actually bought one this time. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So you were a black shirt at P 
PB2, um, and I said to a bunch of the NPCs and players and, and the Black Sets, I said, you need to not be staff at the next one. You need to go and play. And why do you, like, I know the words I said, why do you think that's important? As somebody well, that just, was a black shirt. The black shirt is, the role itself is a very admin-based role, but also it's a very strict role, if that makes sense. So unlike a player where you can choose to do what you want to do, the black shirts are very by the books listening to what you wanted us to do. We, if you wanted us to go and engage with an, like a player squad and get absolutely steamrolled, we didn't have the choice in the matter mm. because ultimately the black shirt's purpose is to go and serve the players yeah. is to go and help them enjoy the game as much as possible, help mm. them to feel good about themselves basically. Yeah whether that was going and rolling with a squad for a, few, for a bit just to help them, you know, get the upper hand of a particular squad that might have been steamrolling them for most of the day, yeah. or if it was to just simply interact with the other players and get them, you know, going on their creative juices or whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's a very demanding role and it's a very servant-based role. Yeah, The player's role is the reason why the admin role exists. The admin role is to serve the player and to create an experience that the player will most enjoy. So if you can go as a player, you have an idea about what you want to happen in order for you to have the best time possible. Yeah. So that way, if you go back to the black shirt role, or if you go back to any admin role, because you have that experience as a player, you can then empathize with other players and, put into practice exactly what you want to happen yep. because you've been in that position. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with me in the black shirts got role going into a player's role because I'm like, all right, I know how it rolls from the other, from behind the scenes. So let's see how it goes. If I'm on the other end of that. Mm. It, it gives you a, a freedom that you didn't have at the first one. And a lot of people go, Oh, I really want to be a black shirt. I'm like, the grass isn't greener, man. Like, if you want to be a black shirt, you have to spend an hour or two a week training so that you get used to um, getting rolled and being an example of how to do and not do things. And there'll be times when we put you somewhere just to die. And and yeah. that's that's a hard adjustment for a lot of players to take. Some drop ducks on, on, into water, um, but it's a very different mindset. Well, yeah, it's like you said, you know, it's, it's a very demanding role in that you have, you sort of have to have the mindset that you're going into it to purely be a resource to the player and purely be, you know, at times just a scapegoat if you need to be. Yeah. And as you said, we did spend leading up to Parabellum 2, we spent like four or five weeks training together because we needed to have that group cohesion so that if we still needed to be steamrolled, at least we could do it in a way that shows players how good teamwork is supposed to be done. Yeah. A, a lot of people with military background are used to the idea of enemy party and going, oh, enemy party's so cool. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. And you just go out and whack people. Um, but even in enemy party, and a lot of people don't know this, 
There's a unit in at RMC called 10IRC. So that's the 10th Independent Rifle Company of the Royal Australian Regiment. So there is a company of regular infantry soldiers posted to RMC just to be the guys that die against the trainees at RMC and ADVA. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's cool. a, a lot of people don't know that. And it's not a posting you can go to you as your first posting as a digger. You've got to have been out in the real infantry first. Um, so we take seriously in the military having an opposing force. Um, and a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to be op for, or oh, I really want to be op for. Um, and I don't like getting tied down to red for and blue for and yellow for and white for and green for. I don't want to do that. And, and that's why I created the law of, well, we have the territories and the dominion. Neither of them are good or bad. Neither of them are backed by Russia or America or anything else. They can wear whatever the friggin' hell they want um, to give players some latitude to explore other elements of being in combat. Yeah, well, I mean, if you remove the restrictions of uniforms and set weaponry and set mm. anything, if you've got, if the only limitation you've got is how you act and how you perform, then ultimate automatically just frees up so much more for the player to do. Yeah. Um, and then it also lets those that want to have simile and matching uniforms and want to have that I group cohesion. Do it, man. But those who just want to show up and wear whatever they want to wear and just focus on the game plan, focus on having fun, yep. by all means, the option is there. Mm. So, and I've, for PB, uh, PB3, sorry, I've been fortunate enough to get scooped up by 1-2 Company for that. Yep. Um, and 1-2 Company's my first team that I've actually joined um, officially in the job ball world anyway mm. um so shout out to one two company if you end up uh, hearing they're the boys from Warcraft prime time <laughs> um but yeah and there's just something about i will admit there's something that's really appealing about seeing a whole bunch of guys wearing the same kit wearing similar stuff because it just makes you feel cool it makes you feel like one of the boys it makes you feel yeah. or girls it makes you feel just in a group, you know, yeah. um, which you probably know more than anyone or any veteran would having been in the military. Mm. It, it's an interesting dichotomy. And um, for those of you that aren't Patreon supporters, you and me were talking about the Patreon content I put up and, and a very different opinion was put in that Milsim became very cringe because everyone was like, everyone wants to be operator as F. Um, yeah. And they're not doing the job. They're not... And it just looks a bit cringy. Um, and yes, uh, dressing up as a soldier can be as cringy as, um, but it can also be a great release from the stresses of day-to-day -day life. Um, I think there's a balance there where you go, all right, I'm doing this as homage to soldiers. I'm not going to wear a rank slide. I'm not going to wear the badges of the unit that I'm trying to portray. I'm just trying to... Um, be a battle recreation type guy. Yeah, well, that's that's something that I've been seriously thinking about just by myself is like, because for example, or Sierra Company, for example, they're, all, they're a big um, US Marine inspired um, yep. kit, which looks awesome, by the way, guys. Mm. Um, but if you were a US Marine who actually served in that, it's sort of just like, I feel like, you 
you have to think about, you've always got that thing in the back of your head that if a real Marine were to see me right now, what would he think? Yeah. Would he go, um, rah, or would he go, stolen valor? Yeah. And, and it's I, a hard line for a civilian to understand um, if you're wearing this this way, it's disrespectful. Um, I think that's fairly normal. Yeah, well, it's like if people were to cosplay as a police officer, for example, like mm. would that be disrespectful or would it not be disrespectful? But I suppose you've got to you've got to look at the intentions behind what is happening to see to like actually get a gauge as to okay whether this is disrespectful or not. Like obviously, I I never think that you know wearing um, rank slides or wearing patches of an actual unit or whatever that you never belonged mm. to. I I probably I never would do that because that is as you said stolen valor or it's just plain disrespectful but simply wearing the camouflage pattern of you know your country's resident uh defensive forces like i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing especially if you know everything you say is not once claiming to be or have been Mm. in that life yeah if that makes sense so like what a lot of people don't understand is they go oh stolen valor isn't taken as seriously in australia um, but I'm just going to read out the actual Defence Act, 1903, Section 80. And this is what nails it down for me. And a person, a person commits an offence if the person represents himself or herself to be a returned soldier, sailor or airman, and that representation is, of, is false. So there it's about gaining reward from being somebody who's been on operations. It's not about... Um, they don't mind, it, and there's there's caveats in there about theatrical and and all that stuff and reenactors. If you're not gaining something monetarily or in that vein from doing it, I don't have a problem with it. If you go into Macca's wearing it, um, wearing a green beret and going, "Oh, you should give me a cheap Sunday," then then I've got a problem. Or if you're out collecting tickets for a raffle, saying, "Oh, for the veterans." I'm going to have a problem with that. Yeah, and I think a big part of it comes into the whole common sense and common decency of it, which some people don't have, unfortunately. But Mm. from what, for the most part, like the Joel community has been so good about it. Like at the end of the day, it's just people wanting to come together and have fun, do a bit of dress up, which everyone can get behind. From like cosplayers to reenactors to everyone. And it's, again, it, it poses the same question in the film industry. Like if you were to dress up a bunch of people as ADF members, but without the obvious, like unless it's a um, documentary movie or something like that, um, it's a oh, bit look, different. Look in at that Long regard. Tan. Look at Long Tan. The guys yeah. in that all were the right, generically speaking, all the right badges, all the right accoutrement. Um, and no one's got a problem with that because they're doing it to honour people. They're doing it... As a mark of respect, they're trying to get it as right as possible. But when you see somebody in Maccas that's got a half tucked in this and their hat's all bashed wrong, you just go, you're just a clown, mate. Yeah. And it's when they try to do it, but you can obviously see that they've disrespectfully done it, even in just the way that they dress. Sort of is like the, it's just the icing on the cake for the, disrespectfulness if that makes sense and, and this isn't isolated to civilians as well there are soldiers that didn't serve places that will go back to their hometown and wear things that they never earned 
Um, and that, to me, is a much more serious thing than some gel baller um, wearing a bit of camo that's not publicly available or whatever, but somebody wearing a couple of medals from a campaign they never served in on an Anzac Day, that, that I'm going to punch you into next week sometimes um, when I see that. Like, it, it's really offensive. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I could never fully imagine because obviously being a civilian, you can only really understand so much. Yeah. Um, but, like, you can understand at least from a level of common decency how offensive it would be to someone who's gone through what yeah. they've gone through and to pretend that you've been through that and to try and seek personal benefit and gain from that. Like you're essentially trying to get personal gain from other people's suffering. That's basically what's happening. And the opposite is true as well. I, I, once I got out of the army, I joined the air force cadets as a staff member. Um, and I went through an, a, a, a quite a lengthy process. It took about a year and a half to get authority to wear the right badge that the air force would wear in place of the badge that I earned in the army. So I was qualified for cross rifles so I had to prove all that to Air Force. They went and checked it and went, all right, so we now authorise you to wear the Air Force version of Cross Rifles. So it's exactly the same and it's blue. Even though they have slightly different requirements for it, they let me wear it. Um, my recruiting instructor badge, they didn't have an MSI badge at the time that I did that and the requirements were different, so I wasn't allowed to wear that. But my Army Combat badge, they said, yeah, you can wear that above your medals and your ribbons. I went to a course where another staff member that had never served a day in their life said, you can't wear that badge, and they outranked me in inverted commas. I said, you've right. got two choices. You can try and rip it off my chest or you can piss right off, mate. And he said, it says the word combat in it. You can't wear combat things around cadets. I said, you're an idiot. You need to go away. Yeah. Some people just surprise you in the most unkind of ways. But yeah. anyway... It's funny, there's a guy that listens to this podcast and he'll be on my defence one as well that was there that day. Um, he had served as a RAF version of an RI. He was an MSI and then commissioned. And he was there on that course as a flight lieutenant. And uh, he physically got in between me and this guy and said to this guy who was a warrant officer in the Air Force cadets, um, you need to walk away, mate. You, you're poking the hornet's nest. Yeah. I, I just found it so... And it reminded me why so many defence people don't go into cadets because they have an experience like that for four seconds from somebody that's never been in. And I think that's the fear that a lot of defence people have is it's going to be like cadets if I go to a field. There's going to be all these wankers walking around wearing things, being disrespectful, um, that have never served a day in their life. But I think the opposite is true of gel ballers. Um, oh, absolutely. The, the respect paid by gel ballers... Um, to the defence community is immense. Well, you don't even have to look so far as to even just see those that are willing to, um, like civilians like myself, willing to volunteer for wounded heroes. Like it's at the end of the day, a lot of the, most of the guys, if not, no, I'll say all of the guys that I've played with have been, have done nothing but be respectful for veterans because all they're doing is just putting on a camouflage that's all they're doing is they're just yep. wearing patterned clothing without any sort of rank sliding or any sort of, yep. you know, falsified patches and that sort of mm. thing. And they come and up with their own patches for their own fake units. 
Yeah, exactly. And some guys put different camouflages together and come up with completely different military organizations. Mm. And to me, that's just, that's not them being disrespectful. That's them having fun and doing what they want with it. Um, People will hate it, but it's cosplay. You're wearing a costume and you are playing. It's cosplay. Yeah. So I, I guess if there was any veterans that are listening now wanting to have a crack at gel ball, don't be afraid about it because people will be respectful. And there has been serving members currently and ex serving members who have played gel ball and have had fun with it. Yeah. Somebody tell that to the WA veterans affairs minister that he's just taken <laughs> away a whole bunch of stress relief for a bunch of veterans. Yeah. <sighs> I'm going to get on that soapbox. Stop me, Jack. It's okay. We'll talk. Uh, we'll move on. We'll move on. I'll, we'll, um, we'll talk it my out. Podcast okay. skills. We'll talk. We'll talk it out. Um, so Trav, I've got, I'll, because it's a cross, it's a cross yeah. um, thing between podcasts. I might do a bit of interviewing now. Do it. And Go for I might, it. I might ask you a few questions. Good, sir. I'm ready. So we've had a chat about media in the gel blasting world. Where would you like to see gel blasting and the media surrounding it in say, four or five years time where would you like to see media in the gel ball world i would like to see the major media outlets the seven nines tens sbs's abc's daily all of those coming to see gel ball the way that we see it that it is a sport um and, and i've been saying for a long time that gel ball is a sport not a crime and, and we're a long way along that journey but we need to bring in the the media people and show them that gel ball actually is a sport that ha- it's not a bunch of yahoos that just jump into their back room together um like i'm trying to get a media outlet to pick up pb3 uh, mm. i've done press releases i've reached out to everyone that i know and can connect with do you think i can get any of them to do it they're like nah, the public's not interested in that so well, that's cro- because you're not showing the public <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't, as, as much as I hate the tinfoil hat narrative, it, it doesn't play into the narrative that those those guys are looking for clicks. Um, yeah. As much as they'll disagree with me, that media now is looking for um, almost clickbait to get you to look at their story, to pay for their firewall. Um, you don't watch a current affair anymore and go, oh, there's a really interesting expose on this. It's all just faff. Yeah. Which celebrity has committed some scandalous crime this week? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I think the best way that we could ever get a media outlet involved is to get them in as either a player or directly attached to a squad and just get them in the action and get them involved in an actual game. Mm. Cause I was, I was watching an expose on airsoft over in America and they had an actual, um, I think it was for vice and whether it was a good, <laughs> yeah. whether it was a good expose or not, you can debate that to the sheep come home, but mm. um, they actually got a camera crew and a reporter in on the action following, I think it was jet desert Fox, um, yeah, I think I've seen that around. on YouTube, yeah. And they got actual footage of, you know, real players 
pretending and it was an actual really good coverage of what an actual airsoft game is. Yeah. And they didn't just get all the action. There was people sitting down and lying down and pretending to die and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it got every aspect of it. And I think if we can just give Joe Ball the chance that it needs, I think mm. a lot more people could actually see the benefits of it if they, you know, if in a perfect world, the media decided to do an actual true to life coverage of it. But, yeah. You know. I, I'd like to see, um, and a lot of people will, will cringe at the word, a Louis Thoreau style documentary where it's um, the narrator walking along, asking some poignant questions and not making the listener have a decision about something. It's just trying to get the straight up and down questions about, all right, so you're a Scientologist. What's that actually mean to you? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see something like that, but it has to be bipartisan and it has to be all of the different shops and fields and whatnot. It has to be across all of them. It can't be done by one. Well, I think that's sort of what the biggest issue about the whole WA news coverage of it was because they were – they weren't just, well, first of all, it was not unbiased. Mm. And also I think the police presence in the video sort of outweighed whatever the gel blasters presence sort of did. Because if you think about it, the general public is more likely, unfortunately, to just listen to what the police commissioner has to say. Mm, Scary black thing. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But if we were to actually give an unbiased, just simple, um, you know, ask questions, get down to the bottom of it, expose like you were suggesting. Yeah. I think that'd be really beneficial, not just for the jewel industry, but just for some, like just for the general public that want to know what the heck is going on about it. You know, people that might not necessarily want anything to do with, you know, gel blasters or guns, just, you know, it helps them understand, which I feel like is the biggest thing about this. My biggest disappointment in recent time is the collapse of the Gel Blaster Association Incorporated as a peak body for gel blasters in Queensland. I had hopes, and they were working on a documentary-style thing, um, but unfortunately, that it, when we got to a point where we didn't really need an association, all the players didn't support putting money into that anymore because they didn't see it. But I saw this opportunity to do that documentary film style thing through that body um, that is above and beyond and different to the stores but represents us. Um, and now we, we've got, is it a business interest? Is it a field? Is it an owner trying to make money? Um, mm. So who, like, as much as I'd like to do that stuff, and people have said to me, oh, you should start an association, you should start a club, um, I don't want to muddy that water myself. Well, it's hard to get out of the public eye once you're so deep into the business already. Mm. Um, Cause you sort of almost need an, you sort of need a person who's disconnected from everything to run it. Yeah. Um, who's a player first and foremost. And, you know, it comes full circle back to why black shirt people need to play as players because you need to have that understanding from a player's perspective Mm. in order to make any differences on the admin perspective. Mm. And it's the same thing with all of this shebang and whatnot with all the parliamentary stuff. You need to actually understand what it is to be a player before you can go and start making decisions without the player's um, best interests in mind. So, 
Yeah, it's just it's it's amazing how many problems would be solved if people would just take the time to actually think about things properly. But oh, look, you know. it's a, it's a reflection of society. But people have different ideas and needs and wants. If the whole country, a hundred percent of people vote for one party, there is something really yeah. broken in our society. So I'm glad that we have some um, variety in life. We could talk about this all day, though. So have you got any more questions yeah. for me? I'm keen. Keen. You're keen. Yeah. You, it's not every day that you get asked questions on your own podcast, Trav. Look, I do occasionally ask people to ask me questions, but let's do an mm. Ask Trav session. Ask Trav session, special Sorry. guest, special um, presenter. Mm-hmm. All righty. Let's begin. We've already begun, so let's move on to question two. So you've, have, you've shown an affectionate for a certain science fiction rifle that mm-hmm. you've been mm-hmm. you've been interested in making if money weren't a problem mm-hmm. do you stand by that as your favorite science fiction rifle um yes i do the m41a pulse rifle um if i could have any science fiction prop that i i can't say don't currently own because i do own a resin one uh, it's not painted. I got that off um, Big Barry. I don't know whether he listens or not. He's out in Tara, but he's a good bloke. Um, Give him a shout out anyway. Yeah, Bazza. Moon Cricket Wonky Donkey. The, only the people that know will know. He used to make a lot of stuff out of resin. Uh, Fair enough. That, yeah. I also have a Mal Reynolds pistol from Firefly. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Very nice. It's very I shiny. It's, it's shiny. Be- but um i suppose that'd be so that'd be your dream functioning blaster as an actual functioning gel blaster anyway uh yeah it it's very hard for me to say that it's a dream that can come real because uh 20th century fox owns the rights to it um so even if i could physically make it getting the legal permission to make it and then paying them a dividend they're never going to listen to some little guy that sells gel blasters in Australia. Um, so I would either have to do a knockoff and call it something else or just live without. Mm. I suppose that is the, the, yeah, that's ultimately the biggest shame about really popular movie mm. props like that. Um, but I feel like he'd, in terms of games anyway, you get an easier time replicating game weaponry. I yeah, feel look, like maybe I've, I've been, depends on it, I suppose. I've been gun shy enough about um, referring to Ghost Recon Wildlands. Good game. because because we want well, we run that as a game mode probably about once a month, um, and I want to pay homage to that, and I want people to understand that that's the style of game it's going to be, but I don't want to rip it straight out of the game and and take the piss out of them as well. No, exactly right. And I suppose, again, it comes into that aspect of being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Respectful to the source material, mm. um, which you seem to do, from what I've heard of the um, Wildlands games, you seem to do done really well, which is just mm. taking the concepts and the factions and whatnot from the game yep. and making new storylines yep. um, based around them. So is there, when it comes time to making Millsoft Sunday events. And I know 
um, there's another person there that's also heavily involved with the <laughs> um, actual writing aspect, yep. Mr. Damien. Yeah. Um, so do you, what's your thought process and planning process behind actually choosing a source material for doing a Millsoft Sunday event? Do um, you have like a, do you have a list of potentials or do you just scour the internet for whatever you feel like? Uh, no, we'll, we'll generally go, have we thought about this in sort of a bit of a brainstorm? Me and Damien will back and forward and go, do you reckon this would work all right? And generally he'll tell me no. Um, and I'll go off and think of something else. But occasionally he'll go, yes. Um, and if he said yes, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be a cracker. Um, because he doesn't say yes to the mediocre stuff. He only says yes to what he thinks will really work. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So what tends to be the biggest deciding factor between saying yes to an idea or not? Is it the player base? Is it certain aspects of the game day that you feel like players would be ready for? Like what's what's ultimately... Or what's some of the most challenging aspects of a story to do that you think will be popular? The, the most challenging for us is exactly how much time will this mission or story take? Will we drop this story on the ground and the players will run with it and burn through it in three hours? Or will they start this story, get and six hours into it and have only done a quarter of it? That's That's the most difficult one for me to go... How, how long will this simulation, is there something we can complete on a Sunday or is this a prequel event level we need bush and blah, blah, blah? So you've done a few prequel events at the moment. Um, most recently, actually, you've gone, we've gone out to the actual game field, which is out at Aratula, which is a phenomenal game field. And yep. we've been so lucky to actually get that. Mm-hmm. Um is there, do you think that there's more value in a prequel game leading up to the actual game day than just running a standard Millsoft event that might have something like a similar mechanic that you want to introduce before Parabellum? For, for me, the general concept of running Millsoft Sundays is to grow the community as a general rule. It's not to feed into Parabellum. It's to feed into any Melsim, any Melsoft, any Gelsim. I don't care where you go, but I want that to be your first easy dip your toes in the water. The prequels are for the people that want to dip their toes into Parabellum's world. Um, So that's the difference in my mind when I set those up. And we don't want to have a million Parabellum uh, prequels because not everyone wants that. Some people want a flashpoint. Some people want something else. Um, so that's what we try and spread it up as. Yeah, that's really good. So I'd say player's taste probably comes um, in as one of the biggest factors of like choosing a certain um, mission or game day for you guys. Is there anything that you've done in the past that you'd really like to have another crack at or on a grander scale, do you think? Um, to be frank, we are so reactive to making games. We're not as proactive as we need to be. 
Um, we are behind the eight ball creating the content for people in advance of it. Um, hopefully the lockdown will allow us to get back in front of the eight ball. We don't have time to think that that level of thought. Yeah, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, do you think there's a... Because I've, I've been involved with a few um, players who have been interested in or have tried to make their own game days to be involved with um, Milsom Mils- East in the village. Do you think that in the future there's a, a big, like, there's a big area that can be enabled for players to bring their own stories involved with it? Absolutely. I absolutely encourage people to come with me, come to me or come to Damo or come to anyone, go to Jason, go to Morkai and say, I, I've got this grand idea, can you run with it? Um, but the counterpoint to that is, do we want to have a player see what it's like to organise this and it spoils the game for them because suddenly they have this appreciation of what the, the level of work goes into a game and they go, I feel really guilty for enjoying this game because I didn't put any work into it. Um, and that's something I'm afraid of. Uh, there's a lot of people that are really they're super fans of ours. Let's be honest, they're super fans, and I don't want to show them behind the curtain. Um, in that, um, yeah, I, I don't want them to see behind the curtain and go, oh, ouch. Yeah, that's. I suppose it also comes back to, again, people's predetermined idea about what a milsim looks like. Mm. Because at the end of the day, like it's not an easy thing to do all of this planning that you guys do and mm. do all of the spend all of the time and overtime and free time to you know work for the players. Mm. So I suppose you'd, you'd almost need someone who has a very determined nature about them to be the ones to go and plan everything. Yeah. And be the ones that are willing to sacrifice their time and their player, um, their play time yeah. to do that. I'm just going to grab a calculator for a second um, so I can... Quant- I know the percentage of time that we spend at tidy running gel ball events, but I need mm. to quantify that out in hours per week. Hours per week. We're getting, yep. we're getting into the big leagues here. Hours per week. Imagine, imagine how much time so everyone would have. If you had to guess between all of the staff that I have at Tidy and MSEV that are paid, how many paid hours of work go into planning and executing gel ball games? That's before um, refereeing starts. Is this a per week thing? Per week. Um, Let's make it a community poll. Right, let's, let's do it. We'll do I'm not going to say a number. Let's just put it out there to the community. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you after the fact. Um, but I, I think people will go, oh, it's this or it's that. or And there'll be these people that go, oh, it's 20 hours. And there'll be these people that go, oh, it's, oh, it's 200 hours. Um, but that's – and everyone that knows me hates – knows I hate trying to self-represent myself and promote myself. But the, the biggest – thing for me is tidy has to create um the income to support gel ball games um and that's what it needs to do better um so it's got to pay for those hours somehow 
Um, yeah. And and we don't get millions of dollars when we run the games for Wounded Heroes. The whole point of that is to give as much to Wounded Heroes as we can without being um, an overhead for them on top of everything else. And for those of you who have already, for those of you listening who have already bought tickets to Parabellum 3, we'll know that there has been a slight price increase since Parabellum 2. Um, is that is that uh, funds going towards tidy at all, or is it going towards Wounded Heroes? Um, no, that's going towards app development, that extra $10. Oh, um, so okay. there is an app that I've been developing for about two years. Um, right. the, the Android version is solid and stable, and I'm happy. Um, and I've just got to get the same version released on the iOS store. We're ready to do it. Um, it's just the... Anyone that's developed an app knows it's not cheap to present something to the iOS store um, and have them knock it back. So we're at the stage where we can present it to them um, and we're hoping that they'll throw that straight back at us. Our option um, for those that can't put it on their iPhone is we have a physical uh, device that they can carry in the field as well instead. Yeah, that might might have to be something that... Because I personally use iPhone and I know a lot of other people use iPhone. Mm. Um, I'm an iPhone guy too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good to have, it's good to have that you guys have thought about options and stuff for other players as well. Um, So tidy toys. um, Let's have a chat. Let's have a quick chat, a quick chat about tidy toys. Cause how long has been Tidy Toys? How long has Tidy Toys been going now? Two thousand and eight, I started. Two thousand and eight. Wow, that's a long time. It is, um, and it it started as a side hustle where I bought one of this, and then five of this, and then five boxes of this, um, and it certainly had its ups and downs. I think the best year I ever had back in those days was maybe thirty grand. Um, and that's when you get out of being in, into a side hustle, do a bit of business, and then I moved into um, like a proper warehouse, and then that cost me thirty grand for the year, so I didn't make any money. And we've had lots of ups and downs. I can say that. Are you happy with where it's at at the moment? Um, I would be happier if the economy was better. <laughs> yeah. Um, at, we are doing ninety percent of what we want to do. The biggest problem in tidy is me. Um, it's not my staff. It's not my products. It's not anything else. Uh, it's me stopping going, oh, look, butterflies. Um, I need to get a bit more focused on certain aspects of the business and um, do them better. So where would you, because a lot of it sounds like a, a big personal growth thing for you. And I'm sure that the company has grown as you've grown personally. So if the question isn't too big, where would you like to see both Tidy as a company and both yourself as a business owner, where would you like to see yourself ending up? Um, I want Tidy to become a publicly listed company that players can invest in by buying shares on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um so that those people that want to support what we do can do that by being part owners of the company. And I want to step back as the owner and make it the a publicly listed company owned by players for players. That's my long-term goal. How, how many years do you think 
it would take for it to get like that given so let's 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 say where it's a perfect world joe ball you know stays as it is maybe improves in some areas but ultimately it keeps progressing further and further at least in queensland as a best case scenario how many years realistically do you think it would take for tidy and yourself to get to that point oh I've got a – my long-term goal is to um, have that done by the time I'm 55. Um, some people might be surprised, but that's only 10 years for me. So yeah, okay. in 2030-something, um, I want to be back out in the outback exploring the world, doing stuff I used to do when I was first retired because um, I retired once already and didn't do really well at that. Um, yeah, and spend some more time with um, Kylie. Because yeah, we're not okay. we're not spending enough time together anymore. So I suppose ultimately tidy. You'd it sounds like you'd really love tidy to be a. Um, I want it to have a life of its own. Beyond, yeah, beyond. Me. And I think. Do you think that it would really? Do you think that being separated from you, uh, as like a collectively owned business and giving like being spread out to the players do you think that it'd be a really good resource for them to utilize from a player's perspective like what do you think the players would benefit the most from having tidy as an openly shared platform um my hope is that um if i think of any other company that is like i don't want to be a 51 or a 40 percent or a 30 percent owner at that point i want to literally um that that People buying that is what I retire on. And if players are the people owning it, the business serves the shareholders. And if the shareholders are players, it's serving the right people. And this comes straight back to what we were talking about, about why it's important that people behind the scenes also go in front of the scenes. Yeah. Oh, you bastard, you got me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you talk about that because I don't like it. Uh, well, uh, well, oh, well, oh, well. So the podcast, you happy with the podcast at the moment? You're going strong. How many episodes have you done now? Uh, you will be number 51 and I'm currently three weeks in front of my um, schedule. I've gone from releasing about once a month, every four to six weeks to the point where I can release every week now. That's pretty impressive, especially for a man as busy as you are. Uh, yeah, that, a lot of that's oh, butterflies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, for those that don't know, I've got bipolar disorder um, and I use a lot of the up energy um, and I burn that candle pretty hard when I can um, to put that energy into gel blasting and wounded heroes and tidy. And I can do massive weeks when I'm doing that. And there are times of the year when I crash and I am literally, I am in a mental ward. Um, so it's not all smooth sailing and me working hard, hard, hard. Um, there's certainly times where I'm off the radar. Oh, well, I mean, Ultimately, that's why it's important to surround yourself with people that you can trust and people that you know will take control of things and do tidy and everything else justice while you're away. Um, and from the looks of things, everyone that you've got going for you now has done a smashing job. Like, 
Roxy and Damo and all of those people out there, um, they've just like, it's been phenomenal what they've been able to achieve even by themselves. So, I mean, hats off to you guys if you're listening. So, yeah, I I could not be prouder um, of the people that I employ um, because they are way, way more than employees in my mind. The, the level of commitment and respect for my brand that they have, um, I, I could never imagine. Uh, I've worked for other brands and I've never had the level of respect for the brand that these guys have for mine. They share um, a vision with me. Um, they get grumpy with me at times and, and that's because I don't live up to respecting the brand as much as they do. hard well yeah it is hard (laughs) i mean i could never again i could never ever imagine anything like what you're going or what you have gone through and what you continue to go through and what so many people like yourself go through Mm. um the the entire reason i created that second podcast is to remind people it's okay to just be okay um there are so many people that talk about oh we're fantastic and we're great and we've achieved all these things and so many people that ruminate and want to talk about suicide um there is some middle ground there where you can you can find this level it's like Mm. a sound wave you can neutralize the ups and downs and just be in the middle um and that that's my plan i'm not i'm not recording ben robert smith on that podcast i never want to unless um he, he wants to guest host it or something. Um, I want to record the average person that got out of defence. Uh, one of the people I'm recording is um, somebody I serve with as a corporal. Uh, she went on to become a sergeant. Um, she battled drug and alcohol addiction and she's now turned her whole life around. She is now a vegan yoga instructor doing an exercise physiologist degree at uni in her 40s. Like, what That's a, amazing. What, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I was listening to your most recent uh, episode on that podcast with, um, is it Dan from Ausgel? Yep. Yeah. Like hearing that man's story and his business approach and his business models and ideas. And it's just, mm. it's so fascinating. Like as fascinating is probably not the right word because obviously, you know, it's weird to say that about people, Yeah, but it's, it's interesting listening to people different people's life stories and hearing that from a perspective that you could never, you know, understand what they've gone through previously, but just Mm. to see how even yourself, you've turned your life around to being involved in this industry. You have, you have, (laughs) they can't see me. You have, you have pulling funny faces at himself, but yes, people like anyone who's met you will know just how far you've come and can like even just the average player who comes to the field knows how much you and your team that run that is run by you most of the time like your underlings we shall say like knows how much time and effort and passion you have for both gel ball and tidy and all of the other endeavors that you have and that is to be commended like that is so good like, honestly, if yeah. anyone could give you a pat on the back, it would just be, oh, you just, you deserve the world, mate. You'd want because me to cry, of, don't you? You know yeah, I'm a cry. No. I'll cry at the drop <laughs> of a hat. Well, 
It's deserved. It's deserved, Travis. So my hats tears. off to you. You're getting my hats, tears. I'll put them in a cup off for to you. Anyway, yeah. so next, next question. Parabellum. Come on, let's move on. <laughs> next question. So tidy, you want it? You've got this grand idea for it to be like the way it is. Yeah. What is the best way for the average player to help it to get that way? Um, the way I use the products that I launch at Tidy, each is a stepping stone. Um, and I've, I've bet the house on some products, and if I can't sell them through, um, then the next product doesn't exist. So I, I take some risks that the average gel blaster manufacturer doesn't in making these fringe things. Um, so the only thing that I ask of people is to tell people about the foul. Tell people about yeah. the OK58 um, and don't wait for the next one to come because especially in the economy as it is now, if I don't sell some more of them, then the L1A1 won't exist. Um, I, I recently saw some social media posts in some groups that I'm in and I tend to lurk in them um, and I had a person in there saying, do not buy the hybrid because the L1A1 is going to be heaps better. Um, and the problem for me is... Yes, the L1A1 will be better, but I can't create the L1A1 out of thin air. I am not I am not a tack edge. I am not an M4A1. I am not a big business. I'm, I am the absolute little guy. Um, and I, I bet the house on the next product. So if it doesn't sell well, I'm never going to create the one after. Um, we, we've got other products ready to manufacture, and they take three to six months to go through the manufacturing process. If I can't throw that that cash at the product, I won't have the next one for Christmas. Yeah, like I'm when I was first getting into gel ball, I think you guys were still talking about the LK58 and the FAL, and that was you know coming up to a year ago, and they've only just been released in the last few months, um, which has nothing to do with you guys. It was purely an overseas thing, but. Yep. It just it goes to show the amount of time that goes into at least even just waiting for these products. Yep. Um, it, so it took you me think- three years from me going, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to build one to getting mm. them delivered. Three years. And wow. people go, That's- oh, you can just go and get one converted from Airsoft. If you think you can do that, go and fucking do it. Contact that guy on Alibaba or AliExpress that makes the thing that you like. Ring that airsoft company and go, I want 12 of this. And you know what they're going to say? You need to buy 1,000. You need to buy 300. You need to buy 600. They're not going to sell you ones and twos. They're not going to take a gearbox out of something and send it to you with their brand on it. Do you think Ford would sell you a car with no engine in it and let you put an engine in it and then drive it around a brand new car? Not a chance in hell, champ. Yeah, so for all of you media monkeys out there and for all of you people connected with all of the other Joel Ballers on whatever Discord that you are, just tell people about it. Even if you yourself aren't interested in buying one of the blasters, I bet you that there is someone out there that has cash to burn that is interested in buying something that isn't an M4 or an AK. I've held and played with the LK58s and the FAL hybrids. They are phenomenal, 
buy yourself one. The only reason why I haven't gotten one is because I am poor. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and when we you, engage you to do things, we need to give you the cash to do it, not give you free shit. Because I, yeah. I believe you, we should pay for the people that do stuff for us. Yeah. So, for those of you who have the funds that are able to do it, maybe. And this it's, is it's really hard re- for me to put my hand on my heart and ask people this um, during a Rona lockdown and with job insecurity yeah. and whatnot. So um, please don't take it as as a cash grab from us. It's um, no. It, this is a long game for us. Yeah, if you can afford it, and this is the biggest thing, if and you are in the market for something that is, you know, excellent quality and above. You know, it's just something different. This is purely what it is. It's a quality product that does something different. And that's tidy. That's the that's the whole shtick of tidy. It's yep. it's collectible blasters for people who are interested in something other than every other model of them for. And I'm gonna say the sales thing, and that's why we have the warranty that we have that nobody else gets close to. For the first thirty days that you own one of our blasters, if it breaks, we'll replace the whole fucking thing. Thirty days. For 90 days, if it has a manufacturing fault, we'll repair or replace that at our... Nobody else comes close to a 90-day warranty if something breaks because the manufacturer screwed it up in the job ball industry. Try and come near that. So if the next time you've got about like $800 or something that you want to spend on the latest Gucci gear, maybe have a think about shouting tidy some of that and just at least pick one up for yourself to give it a try because I guarantee you they're not as, you know, they're not as out there as people might believe. So if you can start that popularity change and trend yourself, have a go, yeah. have a go at it. The LK 58s there's as Trav said early in the podcast just now, there's kits coming out to make it into an SA. What was it? An SA 80? SA 58. So if, if you go onto YouTube and look at, you know, Garantham or administrative results, they've got footage and videos on how bad ass those rifles are. Mm. You can own one. Yep. Come October, obviously, but like you can <laughs> own one. Yeah. Hopefully get a stimulus check and maybe throw yeah. it our way. Um, so, and, and look, there yeah. are, there are people that have got private arrangements with us, but I don't really want to accept um, money to do projects because I want to take that risk myself. Um, I, I don't want people to go, oh, well, I'll put five grand towards this because the market is so uncertain. Um, so I, I like to take that risk very personally. Yeah, so if you've been listening to the podcast just now and you want to see Tidy grow into that, you know, ideal image of a player run open source base where people can come to for anything if you want to invest in that future invest in the products now because that's how we get to the l1a ones that's how we get to the maybe even exactly you know any there's on your discord server there's a tidy please make us this section Mm. none of that is possible unless you fund it by purchasing what you've already made yeah so yeah, just have a think about it next time you can afford it. I promise you, you mm. will not be disappointed. There's a video on YouTube promoting it and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shameless little plug for myself, but you know. That's true. I don't mind plugging you. You, you do good stuff for good people and your pricing's fantastic. 
Yeah. I just like helping out, which is a quality that I wish more people had sometimes, but, you know. Uh, look, everyone's got their own demons to battle, so I try not to so judge. If, if they can't give, they've probably given somewhere else that I don't know about. Very wise. Alrighty. Well, I think we've been banging on for long enough. I think we have. We're at, no, we're at the 90-minute mark. Um, if Oof. my YouTube stats and viewing and listening stats tell me anything, we might actually have to break this one into a two-parter. I'll go, I'll go and have a look at that uh, 38 to 45-minute mark and see if there's an edit point we can have there where I can throw an ad in. Yeah, exactly right. Speaking Variety. of ads, that's what I'm going to close with. Oh. Have you heard my ad? For Patreon? Yeah. Well, I have, but I'm sure we can listen to it again. All right, let's have a crack. Ready for it? It's going to be loud. Oh. Goodbye, everyone. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Milsim Podcast. We're not sponsored directly by any business. So how does it exist? Because of a dedicated group of people who send me money on Patreon. Patreon is a way for me to pay for the cost of hosting and sharing this podcast on the internet and upgrading equipment as required. And you can get some perks if you're in Patreon. A few people pay a significant amount, but I'd like a bunch of people who like what we do to just pay $1 a month as they really help me with the algorithms. I do shout out events and retailers, but they are all things I'm directly involved in running myself or the events or products I want to support in the community. You also won't be here running anyone down directly, but I will give feedback I think is constructive. You can also support me once off via PayPal if you don't like Patreon, or you can send me mail or products to review via Wounded Heroes at PO Box 73, Ellen Grove 4078 in Queensland. But please be aware I can't return review products unless you include full return postage. I thank you in advance for your anticipated support and I hope you're enjoying our podcast. I've muted Jack so I can have the last word. Bye everyone.